my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to another episode of Weird Finance, where we try to help you feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Paco DeLeon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Rachel Rogers. I never dreamed of becoming a business owner. It's always seemed like too much work and too much responsibility, especially as a self-identified lazy person. And the truth is that, yes, at times it can be too much work and too much responsibility, but for me, the trade-off is worth it. Because I quickly learned that working for myself is not any riskier than working for someone else. Working for someone else means they can dictate your economics. They can make one decision that takes away your income. The other thing I learned is that building a business is building an asset that I own. And owning valuable things is the cornerstone of building wealth. This week, I spoke to Rachel Rogers, author, speaker, and CEO of Hello7, a company that helps female entrepreneurs scale their businesses from zero to seven figures. Rachel gives me invaluable advice on how to scale my business this year. Please enjoy. Rachel Rogers, I am so thrilled to have you on Weird Finance. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I think I discovered you when I was 
writing my book in 2020 and I was just frantically Googling and (laughs) trying to... As one does when you're writing a book. Right, you know this. (laughs) Trying to hear other people's perspectives and I came across your your talk for ConvertKit, We Should All Be Millionaires. And I was like, what's this bitch talking about? I'm down. (laughs) (laughs) So immediately I I dug in. And so I want to set the stage for the listeners here so they can hear a little bit about your story and really what drew me to you. But you you are a recovering attorney, as the phrase goes. And before you started Hello7, you had your own law practice. And I think I remember um, hearing you say that you grew it to a quarter million in revenue. And then things were going great, but you had found coaching along the way. And, you know, your business is growing, but then you switched to coaching, which I think is uh, was probably the smart, but also terrifying decision. So you created Hello7. And so I would love it if you could talk to us a little bit about, you know, what that journey was like and why you are so damn passionate about helping small business owners scale their business to a million. Yeah. Well, I grew it to, it was a 750. So three quarters of a million. Oh, three quarters of a million. My bad. And which was good. I mean, most of it was going to covering expenses. I was making six figures, but I don't know exactly how much I was taking home. But yeah, I just, I went to law school and after law school, which I found a little bit traumatizing, I thought it would be a good idea to (laughs) start my own practice instead of working with other more traumatizing lawyers. Um, (laughs) But I loved, I loved business. And that's the thing I would have never discovered if I would have quit right away or like, you know, quit law practice right away or I'm glad I had to make a living and I'm glad I had all these student loans that forced me to say, okay, how are you going to make money now? Because you don't want to work at these law firms, but you need to make something. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just start my own and then I can get down how I want to get down, you know, Yeah. instead of doing it the way that it's always, always done. But I'm grateful for that because if I wouldn't have had the law practice, I never would have discovered that I was good at marketing, that I was good at business in general, that I was good at getting clients in, that I understood customer service, that I learned how to study my client and know them really well so that I could serve them really well. And then that just brought in more clients. So there was so much I learned about business from my law practice. And I ran that for about seven years. And and we plateaued, like we hit 500,000. I was trying to get above that. And I then I would get to like six. And then I got to like seven, but I was growing more than that initially. Like I went from 60,000 to 300,000 in one year. Wow. That was like, I think that was 2013. And then I went from 300,000, then it was like, okay, 450. Then it was like, okay, now 500. And then it was 600. I was like, why am I growing so slow? Like I want more of those jumps and I just couldn't make them happen. And I think it was because I actually hated practicing law. I loved my clients. I loved running a business. I loved having a team. I loved everything about the business, but practicing law, but like what we actually sold. Okay, I have so, I have more questions about that because I'm curious, <laughs> the not liking practicing law, was that something that was below the surface? Like, were you very conscious, like, I don't like this, and therefore you think your behaviors, you know, bled into actions that, you know, blocked you from scaling? Is, is that what was going on? Or were you really conscious of it? Or tell me. I don't think I was conscious of it initially. I actually would blame myself and I thought it was my work ethic. I was oh, like, oh, I don't, I know I'm that not song. working hard enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm not working hard enough. I'm not committed enough, disciplined enough. Like I blamed it all on those things, which is why in my book and in all of my work now, I'm so 
just always adamant about letting people know that you have to do things that you actually want to do. If you try to rely on discipline, it is so much work. It is so painful. It is so unnecessarily painful, right? Whereas if you just do something that you actually would do for free, you there's no amount of discipline that can compete with loving the thing. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't have to be so disciplined when you just want to get up and do it anyway, right? So if you can find a way to make a living with some element of it you love enough that you would do for free, that's when things take off. That's actually the secret right? To making a lot more money. And that's what I emphasize in my book. And in all of my teaching, I, you know, when I teach my clients to create a million dollar offer, one of the elements is you like it. You like it. You enjoy the work. It excites you. And it doesn't mean that it's never challenging. Of course it's challenging, but you actually are excited to dig in. You know what I mean? Versus something that you're like, oh God, this is a drag. Do I have to do this again? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how I felt about drafting contracts, right? Like I loved presenting my clients with the contracts. I loved protecting them. I thought it was important and I just hated the process. So I would literally, I was always up until like midnight Ugh. doing contracts, you know, like getting trademark applications and whatever it was, because I love talking to the clients. I loved the marketing. I loved you know, whatever, the relationships with my customers and my team. I loved all of that. I hated the actual work. <laughs> I, and I think that's why I couldn't crack a million, you know, is just because I, I literally, it's like, you're going after more clients, but secretly deep down, you don't want more clients because more clients come with more work that you don't want to do. So it's like, you want the money, but you don't actually want to do the work. When you have complete alignment with like, here's how I want to show up and here's how I make money, magic happens. Yeah. Okay, what if, would you think there's a world that exists where you hire a bunch of attorneys and you're not doing the drafting and the contract writing? And even though you don't love the actual work, you love, you know, the job that you've created for yourself? I had that. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so I, had, I had several lawyers in my practice and working for me. And then I also had admin staff and I was supervising the work but I still hated it. Like right. I just didn't, I felt boxed in by it. I was ready to expand beyond that. And what I was really excited about was business and entrepreneurship and how it could create freedom for people because that's really what I was looking for. I graduated from law school. I was like, I got to pay back these loans. I have to make a living, but how can I do it in a way that doesn't completely suck? And I went out on my own, right? And that was like, that was a dream, right? And so I was thrilled to be able to work from home to take payment, to work with customers that I want to work with, right? All of that was good. It was the actual work that I was not excited about. But once I switched to work, then it really popped off. So, so you know, it's still where I was sitting as a lawyer, I, I was able to make good money working from home with freedom over what clients I worked with or whatever. That was a dream in and of itself, right? But then once I had that dream, got accustomed to that dream as we are, we want more. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so like, that was great. Check those boxes, but uh, there's this other box that's not checked. You know, it's like, uh, I don't want to do this work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what else can I do for these people that I love? Right. How else can I serve them? So that's what it became about. But yeah, it's when you do work that you don't enjoy. Yeah. It, it's just harder to be so committed. And I don't mean you have to love like, so for example, you could do, I don't know, you could have a bakery and maybe you don't love to bake, but you love your customers and you don't bake. Your job is just to come up with new ideas for products and talk, you know, talk to the bakers and take care of your team. Like there, you might still love that job, even though you don't love to bake. Like 
It just has to be some aspect of it that you really, really are excited to get up in the morning for. You don't have to love every single thing about it because I think that's unrealistic. Yeah, you don't have to love your work the way Swifties love Taylor is what you're saying. <laughs> right. But if you do, you'll probably make money faster. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm, of course I'm asking because, you know, this is a show where I selfishly make it about me. And, you know, I don't like, my eyeballs don't like, bing, open in the morning and I jump out of bed and say like, I want to reconcile accounts. You know, I don't love bookkeeping, but I love how, you know, I love how Tidy Books makes my clients feel. I love, yes. I love how I can help a creative professional go from feeling like this world isn't for me. It's for like, old white guys who have a sailboat. And then I could show them like, hey, this is for you. You're 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 creating culture. You're creating value in the world. It's yes. painful to address some of these things or to look at it for the first time. But let me show you why this world is for you. So I love all those things, but I'm not like, God damn it, QuickBooks. I love you, kid, you know? Yes, <laughs> yes. And that's normal. And I think as business owners, as we grow companies, we evolve, right? So like what I used to love to do at Hello7, I'm not doing as much anymore because even the things that you're good at eventually have to be delegated. Like your job as a CEO is, and founder is to work yourself out of a job. In right. the beginning, you do every job. In the end, you do none of them. I right? love that. Like if you want your company to have value, right? And be able to be sold for a multiple of your profits, the, the, more, the less you are involved in the company, the more valuable the company is because that means you could hand it to, to somebody else they could run that business and get those same profits or maybe more, right? With a couple of tweaks. And that's what you want. And so you have to back yourself out of the company if you want it to continue to grow as an asset. It's, it's, it's a key piece of it. So, you know, every, I don't know, I feel like every seven years, I'm going to evolve as a person, you know, and I'm going to evolve within my role. And that's what it is. So like right now, one of the things that I'm focused on at Hello7 is investing, right? We're looking at buying other companies, right? And merging because that's one of the ways to grow instead of every department that we need to build within our company, we have to build from the ground up and hire each person from scratch and build all the systems. Or you could buy a company that already has all of that, right? <laughs> and have it installed and it's faster. Right. So that's another way to do it. So those are the things we're looking at, like, okay, what acquisitions make sense for us at Hello7? And so that's become part of my job. That's very fun and exciting for me there's lots of it that I still love and there's things that I stop loving and <laughs> give away or, yeah. and there's things that I was literally never, ever good at. <laughs> so <laughs> the moment I could give it away, it was, it was a blessing to all involved. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, the staff is like, thank God she's not trying to get good at that thing that she'll never get good at. Right. Correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I understand how operations should run. I can advise and strategize on operations now, me building it and running it, you don't want that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you talk, I mean, you talk like a coach's coach. You talk like a coach because like right off the bat, you're like, I'm grateful for having giant problems in my life because they forced me to rise the, to the occasion. Like, you know, you're clearly comfortable in uncomfortable situations. You're comfortable with change. And I think that's definitely one of the hardest things for a lot of business owners to recognize, like we get really identified with, you know, what we're, who, how we work, what we produce, what that means for us and how people see us in the world. So yes. like you're saying, you know, having to work yourself out of a job or completely changing industries, that's a hard decision to make. 
Can you walk me through how you made that decision? Yeah. Well, it really was like I couldn't make any other decision. I think when you're tuned into your body, like your physical body will let you know what you want to do and what you don't. And if you pay attention to it, you can see it, right? Like if you think about that work and your shoulders immediately start to slump (laughs) and you just get this sad look on your face (laughs) when you think about it. Like we know we have those things in our lives that give us a sense of dread when that's your body talking to you and it's saying, no, we don't want this, right? Right. And ignore it at your peril, (laughs) right? Because you will suffer if you ignore it. So it's just like following your you know, the wisdom in your body that is telling you what needs to happen next. And so that's basically what happened is like practicing law just filled me with dread. I just didn't enjoy it anymore. I didn't want to do it anymore. And what I felt really drawn to and really excited about was business coaching. And the first step was like admitting it. So I like said it out loud to a friend. And I mean, it took so much courage for me to say it out loud because I'm like, I'm a lawyer. I went into like six figures in loans to get this degree, right? Like I was supposed to do this for the rest of my life. The world is impressed with this profession, you know? Like I I should be impressed with myself, right? But I'm not. Um, so it's like, you feel like, oh, shouldn't I be satisfied, you know? Yeah. Um, but I admitted it and she was like, of course. She's like, you're already a coach. This is how you already operate. Yeah. This is why my clients wanted me to coach them because I was coaching them anyway, right. but just as an attorney, right? right. For free. And so admitting it out loud and having someone repeat back to me, yes, of course, that makes sense. Like that gave me the permission to start putting the pieces in place. I don't think you couldn't not coach, you know? I feel like if you overheard a conversation and people were jamming out about a business idea, you would be like, pardon me, but here's what I think. (laughs) Let me help you with that. that. Exactly. That's not a good plan. Here, do it this way. (laughs) I have actually done that at an airport. There we go. It happens. I try to restrain myself. I'm like, Rachel, you're not being paid for this. No one asked for your advice. Stop talking. (laughs) You're you're keeping the tools sharp, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yes. But that's the point, right? What would you do anyway? Right. If you could even for free, right? And so that lets you know that's the thing that's exciting to do, to show up and do. I like problems. I like give me people's chaos and I like to bring order to the chaos. You know what I mean? Business chaos, not personal. Personal chaos is not my jam. Sure. Can't help you with that. I hate personal drama. You know, like that's not, that's not for me. But business drama, business chaos, bring it. Okay. It's fun for me to like bring order to it. And, and it honestly, it feels easy, you know? And that's the thing. It's like, what is that thing you were born to do? How can you lean all the way into that? And so that's what it was, is like coaching was calling me and I was ignoring it for a long time. And then finally, I just was tired of running from this thing that was ringing around in my head for so long. And so I admitted it to a friend. And then once I did that, I was like, okay, it's happening. And then I needed to create a transition plan. So it was really baby steps, which is big for me because I'm I'm a like quick start. I'm mm-hmm. like, burn it down, burn down the old thing, start the new thing today, right? Burn Shooting it down. from the hip. <laughs> My my systems director on my team, his name is Greg. He's like, Rachel, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, let's burn it down, but we're not doing that. And I'm like, okay, Greg, I know you know I want to do that, but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to scare you. <laughs> he always says that. He's like, we're not burning it down. I'm like, okay, we're not going to burn it down. But this was actually a transition because I had to take care of my family. So I couldn't just burn it down because that's how I was making all my money, you know? And I had convinced my husband, and I mean, I had to have this conversation with him every six months. 
convince him to stay home and not work because he'd be like, I'm going to get a job where I found a job. He would get hired for something. And I'd be like, no, <laughs> don't take that job. Stay home with these kids. Listen, it's going to pop off any minute now. Like, just let me keep going with this business. <laughs> Meanwhile, years later, right? <laughs> so anyway, I had an obligation to my family, sure. right? And, and to myself, right? To like eat, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm into eating. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> eat, roof over your head, little things. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So what I did was I said, okay, I'm going to try it. And so one of, one of my associate attorneys actually had a good friend who had a small business. She was making like $100,000 a year. And she was looking for business coaching. And she was like, why don't you coach her and like take her on as a client? And I said, okay, let's try it. So she matched us together. We had a conversation and I said, okay, here's what it would look like. I've charged her like a couple thousand dollars. Definitely not enough, you know, for six. I think I charged her like a thousand dollars a month for six months of coaching. Oh my um, God. I know. What a lucky right? person. <laughs> Literally never again. <laughs> I mean, truly. I don't, I don't, I charge more than that for an hour of coaching now. And I still won't even sell it to you most days. But anyway, so, so anyway, so we started working together. We did those first few sessions and her business blew up. And, you know, I loved it. She loved it. It was a match made in heaven. And then she told everybody that she knew about how successful this relationship was and how her business was growing. People saw it. So then they all started coming and then I got more confident. Oh, I really can do this. So it's like, that's the thing that I always encourage people to do. If there's something you want to like take the step in, you want to take like, just get, take it, dip your toe in because you're too afraid to go, you know, jump in all the way, then just try it. Like, what's a way for you to just try the thing that you want to do? Because you could always pull back if it doesn't work. So I kept my law practice running, but I just tried it with one client. That worked out. So I tried it with a couple more. And then I was like, okay, I love this. I'm all in. So then I started creating the plan for, okay, let me replace my law practice income with coaching income. And it was a slow process. Like it was slowly winding down the legal clients, slowly winding up the coaching clients. And it took probably 18, to, 18 months to two years before I was really done practicing law and had no more legal clients and was full on with coaching clients. Wow. You didn't want to sell the firm? No, I mean, I had, a, I talked to a few people about it. I considered it, but I wanted to keep the assets because one of the things that I had created in my law practice was a product called Small Business Bodyguard that was making a lot of money. It was generating like probably a third of my law practice income in the beginning. And then it grew, I grew it to like 50% so that I could oh, take shit. less legal clients, you know? Yeah. So I didn't want to sell that. I wanted to keep that. And I don't know. It's like, I could have sold it. I probably should have sold it. That today, Rachel definitely would have sold it, you know? <laughs> and I've advised, like one of my mastermind clients came to me recently and she was like, there's this division of my business that I really hate. I want to get rid of it. I'm just going to close it. And I was like, wait, how much money does it make? And she's telling me, and I'm like, yeah, we're going to sell that instead. <laughs> and within literally 60 days, she sold it for Whoa. hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So it's like, that's assets that she could use to grow the business that she does, the part of the business that she loves. So for sure, sell the business. Don't do what I did. But yes, I just wound it down and, and wound up coaching clients. And here's the thing too. I mean, it was a transition, but my, my, my revenue never went down. We either maintained or grew during that transition period. Because it's like when you love what you're doing, I don't know, it just feels like water flowing, mm -hmm. right? Instead of pushing a boulder up a hill. I think I was so lit up about it and wouldn't shut up about it that it brought me more clients. <laughs> That's amazing. And remember too, 
I was serving the same clientele. So that was one of the benefits of this transition. So if you're transitioning from, a, from one thing to serving a completely different client avatar, you might, you know, it might take a little longer or be a little bit more complicated, but I had the same ideal client that was for my law practice was for my coaching. And some of my legal clients actually became some of my first coaching clients. So that made the transition a little bit easier. Sure. Okay. So I want to hype up Hello7 a little bit and the club because I was in the club in 2020, like right out of the gate, you did this 10K challenge. And I was like, why is she making me do this? And so <laughs> I was, a, I was a big lurker. I didn't really participate that much in the, in the group, but I, and I caught all the, the coaching afterwards because it was recorded. So the 10K challenge, I had like a digital product that I sold before and I hadn't been selling it. And I was like, fine. And I toggled it on and I blasted all the emails out. And then I made 10K like within the challenge. And I was like, ah, okay, I guess she's right. I guess she's right. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to keep listening to some of the other things that, you know, she has to say. And then I learned about, you know, I learned about the broke ass decisions. So I want to hover there for a little bit. One of the one of the decisions that I needed to make, the opposite of a broadcast decision is a million dollar decision. And I would like to share with you mine in COVID 2020 COVID times. I yes. we just had like a janky closet situation going on. Like the drawers were janky and yes. it was just weird being in the closet. And I was like, what how how have I gone like seven years just accepting this janky closet situation? And here's the thing that I'm most embarrassed about, Rachel. It is so embarrassing. <laughs> my wife's an interior designer. Oh my God. The cobbler's kids have no shoes. So one day we, real. we just like... First of all, I wish I had an interior designer wife. Like that's <laughs> amazing. So jealous. <laughs> yeah, she makes, me, she makes me look very stylish and very cool and I'm fooling everyone. So it's great. I love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, my million dollar decision was you know, to upgrade the closet, like at least price it out. Like that's what I love about yes. a lot of your teachings are like, you have this idea in your head about how expensive your life is going to be or how expensive it's going to be to like not have this one thing be shitty in your life that has a huge impact in your life. Just price that bitch out and see what happens. So I exactly. <laughs> that's the, that's the dipping your toe in. It's like, mm, just put a little, one little toe in and right. see what happens. Right. <laughs> well, okay. Wait, actually I have a better question. Do you still struggle with broke-ass decisions? Like, do you have a recent broke-ass decision that you made where you're like, why did that happen? Or are you perfect? Wait, I gotta hear, I have to hear what happened with this closet, Oh, though. so yeah. How we, did it change your life? We, we priced it out. <laughs> we priced it out. And, you know, we we ended up, you know, like Ikea has pretty, you know, good yeah. options. You know, we're renting this place, so we, we didn't want to go too, too nuts. So, of course, she made, my wife made incredible decisions about it. And we... It was probably a bad time. It was like August in Los Angeles is when we figured it out and we put it up. But God damn it. One of the best decisions I've made. So happy that I made it. So worth it. What a weirdo I was for like so long. I, I You probably don't remember, but it was probably like what? $2,000 or yeah. some some sum of money that was not, did not break you. Really? Right. Yeah. Right. That's the funny thing. It's like, we just, we just say like, oh, I can't have that. And it's like, are you sure? Yeah. Or are you just making that up? You know, we make up a lot of bullshit stories in our heads and then we live by those stories. And it's like, tell a new story, sis. That ain't the story. Okay. There's a new one. Right. Tell something else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might've been true five years ago, but absolutely. Or like five years before that, but it's time to let that go and let the new yes. Paco bloom, you know? 
Yes, exactly. Paco deserves fabulous closet space. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. I appreciate that. But but your question about do I still make broke ass decisions? I'm sure I do. You know, we all have blind spots. We all have places where we're just, you know, not seeing it. But I think as long as I'm moving, making a living a life free of broke ass decisions is not living in a life free of mistakes, Mm. right? Like that, you know, in order to make million dollar decisions, you're not saying you never make a mistake. Life is to be lived, right? Life is to be experienced. And part of that experience is fucking shit up sometimes, right? Like you make decisions with the best, like with all of the information you have available to you now, you make the best decision that you can. And then sometimes it doesn't work out. Like that's life, right? We're not getting away from life. However, it's about making a decision that's moving you towards abundance. And I think that's actually what keeps you from, those mistakes are usually connected to the, the shitty thoughts and beliefs and stories that we can't have or we're not good enough or whatever we're telling ourselves that actually prevent us from making those abundant decisions that, that lead us to a bigger and better life, right? And so broke-ass decisions is all about like, oh, well, I just have to. I just have to deal with it or I just have to be small or I just have to power through or... In five years, I could do that, right? It couldn't possibly happen in five months, right? So it's just like all of those things that just make you feel like you're not living your best life and loving your life and you're forcing yourself to be unhappy or uncomfortable, you know, or to deal with. So I believe that we need to move towards a more abundant lifestyle and an abundant belief in ourselves and, you know, believe in our own creativity, our own ideas, trust in them, even if it's challenging, right? Like entrepreneurship, my idea was to become an entrepreneur. I've been through hell and back as an entrepreneur, (laughs) but I have zero regrets about any of it, right? It's not like that wasn't a bad decision just because it was hard. Mm -hmm. You know, it was always going to be hard. Choose your hard, right? Hard working someplace I hate, right? Or it can be hard building my own thing. They're both hard. Which one do I want to get out of bed and do every day, right? Right. So that's what it's really about. Like just moving towards more abundant decisions. But I'm sure I still like, there's still things that I get cheap about that my husband's like, we're talking about $200 lady. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm being cheap. (laughs) We all get cut out there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. (laughs) Some old programming just slips through. You go on autopilot. It happens. It's true, but it's usually not with the big stuff. I don't make broke ass decisions when it comes to big things because those things I'm taking more time to really think through. And I'm really checking in with myself like, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. What do I feel led to do? Like, I'm about to buy a piece of real estate. And we went real estate, you know, we went shopping, right? Like, went to see a bunch of properties in an area. And, you know, there's like a couple of different options on paper. These options look the best. This is what my realtor is telling me is the hottest right? Like, this is what you should do. It comes with all these new bells and whistles, blah, blah, blah. And I, of course, my body compass is like, mm, we need to be over there. Mm. And I'm like, damn it. Why can't we get the thing with the bells and the whistles? And it's like, I, it's not, I just feel led over here, right? Like, it, it, I feel like we need to be over there. It, the bells and whistles, that's what, it never was about that. It was about this over here. So, but following that instinct it's powerful, right? Like people's influence on you. And my husband's like, I want those bells and whistles, you know? <laughs> and, and my realtor's like, you don't want these bells and whistles, right? Like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, 
I do, but I feel, I feel like when I check in with myself, I'm supposed to be over here. Yeah. So it's like, and I literally wring my hands about it for a couple of days, but ultimately I made the decision and followed my body compass. Cause I think when you don't, you will pay one way or another. You're going to be like, why the hell didn't I listen? I, I intuitively knew. Why did I go over here? It's like your intuition is speaking and it has wisdom that is not based on logic and reasoning. Absolutely. You know, and you just have to learn to follow it. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A buddy of yours tells you to invest in the hottest crypto. He says it's going to the moon. Think you're making a smart investment? Think again. Investing in things you don't understand can lead to financial disaster. Too often, people fall for the promise of easy money without fully understanding the risks involved. They put their money into complex financial products or shady schemes and end up losing cash they can't afford to. Investing should never be a gamble. It's important to educate yourself on the investment opportunities available and to always read the fine print. Don't get suckered by FOMO. Remember, if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Talk to a financial advisor and do your own research before making any investment decisions. 
Don't let your money fall into the wrong hands. When it comes to investments you don't understand, just say no. Weird Finance Weird Yeah, that's actually how I got into entrepreneurship. I was just not great at being an employee. <laughs> I had a lot of <laughs> ideas and I questioned a lot of things, which in retrospect, yes. I realized was upsetting the status quo. You know, people were working at an organization for 10 or 15 years and I'm like 22 years old, like, hey, I got ideas. I got ideas, guys. And no, people didn't want that. So I, I had almost gotten fired from a couple of jobs, gotten fired from a couple of jobs. And the last, the last time I was laid off, actually the guy who let me go was like, Hey, you know, I know I'm like taking away your livelihood, but let me, let me give you some advice. And he's like, promise me you won't get like some boring office job because you know, you would be really surprised at what happens when you allow yourself to rise to the occasion. And he's like, you know, an old white guy. And at that time, that's the kind of approval I needed. I needed permission from guys like that. So I was like, okay. So then I, I signed up for unemployment, which I call my universal basic income. And yes, <laughs> I would sit, you know, I had kind of gotten into meditation. I would sit and I would ask, like, what am I here for? And I would just like wait for the thing to bubble up. And, you know, I'd been playing music my whole life. So I was like the finance person who hung out with musicians. And then that expanded. I was like now hanging out with filmmakers and, you know, painters and all these different kinds of artists. And then that just kept bubbling up. Like, could you make a living helping creative people with their finances? Question mark, like outside of this old business model of, you know, charging 1% and they have to already have a million dollars. So that's was the feeling. And after that, it yes. just fucking worked. And I'm like, oh, I get what you mean by, you know, once you're doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing, things unlock. Because the yes. other side of that coin was, I was like packing my lunch on Monday morning and like sitting on the couch, like the, the image is me, you know, hunched over like sad with a sad face being yes. like, how can I, you know, what excuse can I have to not go into work? So yeah, all of that is to co-sign on the, what you're saying about, you know, listening to your intuition, giving it space, yes. I think is one of the hardest things to do. So start there, give it space, right? Exactly. Yes. And that means give yourself space. Like you can't fill every second of every day. I tell my children, cause they're like, I'm bored. And I'm like, good. <laughs> creativity comes from boredom. Did you know that? Like <laughs> there will be no creativity without boredom. Mm -hmm. You need boredom, you know? So I think allow yourself to be bored, right? Just expand and, and don't pack your calendar so heavily that you can't think, right? Cause then you can't get in touch with where you're feeling led. You know, you can't reach that wisdom that your body has for you. So I think that's an important piece of it that I definitely had to learn over time. It's not like I knew this years ago, you know, totally. I figured it out after after basically making the logical decision instead of the intuitive decision so many times that I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I should probably stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just want to say shout out to the guy that gave you some advice while he fired you. I, I love that. I've done that quite a few times and I'm like, how is this landing? Are they, do they hate me right now? But I'm just, you know, I've had to let people go of my business who clearly either they're meant to be an entrepreneur and sometimes I tell them that or they clearly like they're creative and they're trying to do this 
technical job that they obviously hate. And I'm like, dude, here's what I see in you. If it's helpful, you know, like, this is what I think you need to do next. This is an opportunity. Like, go do, go do, go. What's your dream? Go do that. So I try to have that conversation with folks. And usually they're, they're somewhat receptive, but they also just got fired. So totally. It's, it's a hard time. Yeah, I, <laughs> It's a hard time to hear it. <laughs> I, I actually did that. I've only had to let somebody go one time and they were in a very like, you know, the position they were in was like highly administrative, like administrative and like you got to ship, right? It's like, you just got to get this done. And their personality is very chatty and very charming and they could talk their way mm. in and out of anything. They're just good with people. Not yes. good with checking things off of a box, like a list. Yes. And so as we were talking, I was like, you know, this is what you're great at. You know, this is what you're so, 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 so great at. So I just, you should have that information. And, and I'm so sorry that this isn't working out, but you should have that information. So exactly. Yeah. Cause they could maybe be a salesperson or like our coaches, right? We look for people who have that ability to connect with anyone, you know, like that's a skill set that people don't realize like, oh, talking too much is a skill. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not you, Rachel. <laughs> Couldn't be. I was always known for being quiet, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was the business that really got you out of your shell, I'm sure. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> All right. So Hello7, what you do there, the, the coaches, the program, everything there is to teach entrepreneurs how to grow from zero to seven figures. Now, I know that when you're at different levels, like, you know, somebody who's at zero and trying to get to 250, you're going to have a different prescription than somebody who's at, you know, 250 trying to get to 500. So I would love it if you could first just share some principles. I know you can't give like, you know, one piece of advice for all businesses, but like, what are some, some things you think that people across the entire spectrum are dealing with that they could kind of start working on right now? Yeah. Well, there's, you know, mindset issues at every level, no matter where you're at. And just like strategically things that you should be working on. Like in the beginning, you know, people like overanalyze and try to get it perfect or try to build systems on day one. And it's like, what are you systematizing? You have nothing here. There's nothing to systematize. Stop it. That's a waste of your time, right? On day one, all you need to do is figure out who you want to serve, what's the offer that you're going to put out there and start trying to sell it. That's it. Just get those first few customers so that you can learn from that experience of serving those customers. And like, that's the beginning. And then you know, the other thing people try to start with is I'm going to grow a big social media audience. And I'm like, we could do that. Or we could get some clients and make some money. You know, <laughs> how about we do that? That pays rent. You know, likes don't pay rent. You know what I mean? <laughs> Followers don't pay rent. So let's do that first, get some money in the door. And then we always encourage our clients, like get the offers out there, get those first few clients, make some money. And then after that, in the next phase is when we build the audience. Because first, you already have an audience. You already, people know you. People know you You exist as a human, right? So like people you went to school with, coworkers, neighbors, friends, your aunts and uncles, your parents' friends, right? Your siblings' friends. Like there's people at your church, right? People at where you volunteer, whatever it is. So it's like all of those people already in your sphere, just sell to them. They're, that's your audience. Those are your Instagram followers, right? So to speak for now. So sell to them first. That's what I did. Got my first few clients from that community of people who already knew me. And then now we can build an audience and start building the system of marketing, but we don't need to do that on day one. So it's like doing the right thing at the right time 
to make the process more efficient and faster to get to the seven figures. You could do whatever you want and keep throwing spaghetti at the wall and take, you know, 50, 11 years, or you could get there a whole lot faster just doing it. And it's like, what is the most pressing issue right now? Let's solve that and only that. Once we solve that, let's move to the next most pressing issue. Now let's solve that and only that, right? So there's another stage, like around 100,000 to 250. We call, there's a phase that we call busy bee <laughs> around 100 grand. And it's because you've got clients, you figured out what you're selling. You're doing a whole lot of it. You're probably creating a custom offer for every single client. Remember that phase? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where you're like, oh, you want all this other stuff added on? Oh, I sure, got we you. can do that. Yeah. <laughs> right, like whatever. As long as you give me money, I will do whatever you want. <laughs> well, then you have all these different custom offers to deliver and you have less time, right? And you're just busy working all night, stressed, trying to serve all these people in all these different ways. And then that's the biggest problem is streamlining your time, right? So that's when you start to systematize, you create one main offer, get rid of the other offers. So it's like working on the right thing at the right time. And one thing I will say, particularly for women entrepreneurs and probably people of color entrepreneurs too, is hiring, right? When you get to all the studies show that around the $250,000 mark, that's, that makes or breaks the difference between men's businesses and women's businesses because men hire quickly and women do not. Women will try to keep running that business by themselves till kingdom come. <laughs> and because of it, they stay small. They don't grow as quickly. They don't make it. I, I could see it in my law practice, right? I hired people, but I waited until I was in extreme pain before I hired my first attorney, before I hired my first assistant, you know? But if you see ahead of that, see that that's coming and you hire quickly, you grow so much faster when you have another person working in your business. So those are some of the things that that's part of the, the pathway that we teach, you know, what order that you're doing things in so that you can grow faster. Well, I would selfishly love to make this about me for a moment. And <laughs> it's your podcast. You should absolutely make it about you. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. I would love to get your insight on my bookkeeping agency. So last year we grossed 500,000. And so my first question is, do you think it's realistic that I could grow 50% and grow that to 750 in a year? Oh, I thought we were going to say to a million. I think well, you can grow it to a million in a year. Okay, well, what do I need to do, Mrs. Rogers? What do I need to do? <laughs> How many customers do you have for this $500,000 that you're making? We have a book of probably around 50, 55 clients. Okay. And where did those clients come from? Some of them come as referrals from people who are in our industry. So like one that's really top of mind is there's another accounting firm that's much bigger. And when their clients actually are looking for a transition out because maybe things are changing, they'll often feed them right to us. And I'm like, this is really nice. Thank you. I try to just be online a lot, delivering value. Like this is a great example of the podcast. So yes. there's an audience out there who is constantly being bludgeoned by my voice and my writings. <laughs> I and like it. I like the bludgeoning. Yeah, eventually <laughs> they're bludgeoned in submission and they write back and say, oh, I've been following along for a couple of years. I'd like to, you know, inquire about bookkeeping. So I would say, and then some clients do refer us. So it's it's a mix of referrals and the internet, interneting. Yeah. What do you think the majority of them come from? Is it the referrals? Hmm. I feel like it's probably split. Okay, like 50-50. Yeah. Okay. 
How many episodes of this podcast do you put out a week? One. Okay. And then with the referral partners, what are you doing to foster those relationships? Are you doing anything or just I try existing? To, I, try to, <laughs> I try to send business to those people who are referring me. And I also send accountants a lot of business. So I, it's going to sound silly. Karmically, I feel like I am also doing good work by sending other people business. I'm always trying to connect people as well. Like our mutual friend Kay is very much that kind of guy who's always trying to connect people. I'm not at his level, but I'm always trying to like facilitate connection that is profitable for others. So karmically, I think I'm doing a good job, but maybe it's not as focused. Yes. So like, I like, I like the karma, but also, also let's add to the karma with like intentional conversations, you know, things that are like destined to lead to that versus just like energetically, hopefully they'll come back at some point. You know what I mean? Got it. Yeah. (laughs) Let's make it a little bit less esoteric. So, so there's a couple of things you could do. If you want to double the number of clients you have, then double your marketing or double your efforts towards your referral partners, right? Like it's going to be one of those things. It sounds like your flywheel. I don't know if it kicks off with referrals or if it kicks off with like the content that you're putting out there. I, I would suspect that the content is like basically creating relationships. Like the content actually might be more important to create the referral relationships. Interesting. Like what if the content is actually creating the referral relationships and then the referrals actually the one sending you the work? I would dig into that to really see what the process is as much as you can. Like dig into the data in your business and see if you can find that pathway that customers are going through. Like when do they first hear about you versus when do they decide to work with you? Okay. And what does that pathway look like? But I think there's a couple of really easy things that you could do to get another 50 clients. Before I tell you what I think you could do, what do you think you could do? Like what would you do differently? If you were like, I need another 50 clients because I need a kidney. And (laughs) I got to get another 50 clients in order to pay for it, right? Like something really important and you had to get another 50 clients. What would you do? Okay, so there's a couple of things. I had started to write down actually this morning all the people that I have just not, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I should probably know that person, right? A business manager who works with musicians exclusively. I should probably just DM that person because we like each other's stuff and we comment and just say like, you're in LA, I'm in LA, let's grab lunch. So I could do a lot more you know, biz dev with potential, you know, centers of influences slash people who are, can, will send me referrals because they just have clients who have that pain point and it's the same customer base. So that's yes. one. The other one is I'm honestly just having a good time with my content and I have been for a long time. It has not been focused. And the other thing I'm thinking about this for this year is really just going, like niching down on the creative entrepreneur and making sure all of the content talks to that and is a little bit of a commercial for like, hey, I know all about your struggles. I know what you're feeling. I have a solution for this particular problem. Here it is. Because honestly, Rachel, I've kind of been in the closet about the bookkeeping agency. So that's what I would do. (laughs) Yes. Back to that closet. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's a theme emerging. Exactly. Um, So for the creatives, do you ever interview your clients? No, but I went to a uh, a workshop where I learned about flywheels. <laughs> and one of the things on that list that I have yet to execute is to reach out to my clients and interview them. So yes, definitely on the list. But could you maybe talk a little bit more about why that's important? 
Yes. Well, because people buy what other people like them buy. Hmm. So we need to see examples <clears throat> and see ourselves in that example. And then that's why we buy it. So like, think about, you know, if you had to go get a refrigerator or probably even when you thought about fixing this closet, you might've Googled around a little bit to see like, oh, how do people do this? Oh, they use Ikea. Great. I'm going to use Ikea, right? Or reading reviews for certain products or services, right? Before we buy a new TV or before we hire someone, we see what the reviews say, right? We read reviews of a book before we buy it. And that's 20 bucks, right? <laughs> so like reviews are part of it. And if there's no reviews or very few, then they don't have a lot of data to go off of. Like, are you making the buying decision easy for your customer? That's the question you got to ask. Okay. So like the, a couple of ways you could do that. One, for this podcast, right? What if you did two episodes a week and one of those episodes was always a client? So only interviewing creatives, right? Like the filmmakers and the musicians and the other creatives that you serve who are customers of yours and have been for a little while. Like maybe you send it out to all of your clients and say, hey, I'd love to interview all 50 of you. Here's the link, like get on my calendar. Let's do it. It could be 30 minutes. Doesn't have to be long. It can be quick. And just say like, hey, so tell us about what you do. How did it change? How did things change for you when you started working with us? Because there's no way that bookkeeping didn't change their lives, right? right? Like getting the reporting, knowing how much they're making, understanding the sources of their revenue, like, oh, we got to sell more merch, right? Like, or, oh, it's all in the touring, book more stops, right? Like knowing where the money is coming from is so crucial. Also knowing where it's going and mm -hmm. where we're leaking, we've got a leaky bucket, right? So having those conversations with them and having them say in their own words, what about working with you? has been amazing for them, right? Like every week hearing a new story about that is drilling into the heads of new potential customers. Oh, I want to be where they're at. They're all organized and shit. I want to be there, you know? <laughs> so that's one of the things I would do is add a second episode and only interview your current clients, all 50. Oh my God. One episode a week, all 50 of them. Okay. And I'm telling you, before you get to the 50th one, you will probably have 50 new clients in the door. Of course, the advice is brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> that one project alone would be amazing. But then the other thing that I would look at, and I would maybe do one at a time or like get that one going, maybe focus for a quarter on that. Once you've got that systematized and it's part of your regular work, then move on next quarter to the next one, which would be referrals, working on those referral relationships. So there's a couple ways you could approach it. So I like the idea of reaching out to, you know, maybe you have a list again, 50. Let's go with that magic number. Let's reach out to like 50 different referral partners either take them to lunch or send them something in the mail or create like deepen the relationship with them and let them know explicitly that you want referrals, that you have the capacity to take on more customers. This is who your ideal customer is. And you want, you want them to send you business and you would like to send them business as well. Here's the kind of customers that you can send their way, right? And just have that explicit conversation. So it's not a back of the mind thing, but it's the top of mind thing, sure. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so being intentional. So one way to do it is just have those individual conversations one at a time. Another way to do it would be to host an event. Oh. And you could probably get, you could probably make this happen faster with an event, but it's more work. Sure. So it's so like put together a little event that's like teaching about finance. Maybe you have financial professionals there. Maybe some of them are speakers. You bring, attract an audience, ask some of your friends who have podcasts to share it and market it, get people in the room to learn about entrepreneurship for creatives, right? And then you do a pitch during that event to sell your services and get, you know, 25 customers, maybe 50 customers on the spot, depending on how many people are in the room. So those are three 
marketing strategies that I would try to double your revenue, right? And get to a million. And then the question <laughs> oh, no, is going there's to be- more, There's more after there's that. More. Okay, go on. Because how many team members you have? I th- did you say you have four team members? Yeah, four. Four team members serving 50 people. Yeah. And are you at capacity? We'll probably be soon. Okay. Yeah, maybe we could probably pile on maybe five more. And then I feel like they'll be tapping out, asking for yeah. help. Do you still work in the business? Like, are you involved in delivering the services at all or managing the team? Just managing the team. I do a lot. I do all the sales calls because frankly, I like them. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Do you want to sell this business one day? I would like the opportunity to sell the business one day. Okay. So then you're going to need, in order to get these 50 clients, while you're, while you're growing this podcast and while you're either doing this event and getting more referral partners or having those individual conversations with referral partners. And I mean, this could be like two hours a week, right? Maybe let's say three, because there's some administration with getting a podcast guest scheduled. But if you do one podcast episode a week and then have one meeting a week with a referral partner, like that alone is going to double your business. And that's like, what, a morning? Yeah. You know? It's true. And it's just flapping my gums, just hanging out. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So you do that. And while that's going on, you start putting out advertisement for these positions because you're going to need more people to capture that work. And then once you have a certain amount of people, like maybe it's for every four or five bookkeepers on the team, I don't know exactly what their role is. You need a manager to manage that team. Right. So like start sourcing for a manager as well. And then also after that, start sourcing for a salesperson. So that would be those would that would be the order of things. I would do the marketing first, first quarter, layer in the referral partner as well, um, and then start hi- looking to hire because you know that work is going to come in. Absolutely, don't wait for the work to come in because once it comes in, it's already too late. Right, it's too late. I'm gonna be, <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the one climbing into the QuickBooks, and nobody wants that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Or people will quit, right? And it'll be a setback. So that's how I would do it. But always like you're basically just tackling the problem from like, okay, what have I done thus far? And there's clues there. Right. Use those clues to figure out what you need to do next. Because we're always like, let's reinvent the wheel. (sighs) Or we could just be more intentional about doing more of the same. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I've got my year just already planned out with all my new homework. So thank you, Rachel. I appreciate you you know, sharing your insights and, and helping me here. You know, I'll send you that email when I get to the the million. So yes, I can't wait. <laughs> it's happening. Listen, I told you you can make 10K in 10 days. And what happened? I you did it. 10K yeah, in 10 I, days. I, literally, I literally toggled something on and it happened. Literally. <laughs> right. So, so same as here, right? What do you, if you're willing to give up a morning a week, you can double your revenue this year. Amazing. For sure. Thank you so much. Okay. Before I let you go, I would love to hit you with uh, some rapid fire questions. Let's do it. So what's one thing you've purchased that's had the biggest positive impact on your daily life? Wow. I would probably say I have an avocado mattress, which is amazing. Uh, It's environmentally friendly and really comfortable. So I think that has been a game changer for me, for sure. Besides that, I'm really obsessed with my Apple Watch and getting my steps in because I'm tracking it. It's like, I'm always like, oh, I didn't get enough steps. And then I'll go for a walk in the evening because I'm like, I've got to get my steps. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like those things that help you create good habits, like getting enough sleep mm-hmm. and 
moving more. Those things are always crucial. That and of course, a first class seat. You know, I'm never mad at a first class seat on a plane. <laughs> Definitely mad when I'm in economy. <laughs> if you see me in economy, just be like, sorry, Rachel. You know what I mean? <laughs> just play like a sad sound or just do like, give me the tear emoji. Like, give me the tear signal. Because <laughs> well, you know I'm sad. <laughs> I hope that I hope that I don't ever have to see it. How's that? <laughs> it happens. Sometimes I got to get somewhere and it's already sold out. So that's what happens. <laughs> oh, man. What's one piece of advice, financial or otherwise, you'd give to your younger self? Ooh. My one piece of advice would be invest as soon as humanly possible. Like, just do it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because the earlier you invest and when you start to think like an investor, it's a game changer. When you divest making money from time, like the sooner you can see the relationship there and disconnect those things, the sooner you can make wealth happen. Because wealth doesn't happen from work, just so y'all know. (laughs) Whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you have a nine to five, doesn't matter. Wealth does not happen from work. Wealth happens when you take the money from work and you invest it in one way or another, in a business, in stocks, in real estate, in art, in watches, whatever it is, an asset that appreciates, that's the only time that wealth happens, okay? I always like to say that wealth comes from building and owning valuable things. Correct. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And I would, I would say heavy on the owning. Heavy on the building. Right, right. I think the building is like, you're getting paid to build, right? But when you, when that, that asset takes off, not because you're toiling, but because of smart decisions that you're making. Like what we just said, we're not adding a lot of time to your day to double the size of your business, right? right? So it's not about time. It's about, what's the strategic move that I'm making that only you can make because you're the owner, you know? Totally. Okay. I'm curious about this one. Did you happen to have any financial superstitions growing up? That is so funny. (laughs) I feel like I had a million superstitions, like don't split the pole. I do recall that like, if you came across a $2 bill, you like couldn't spend it. You had to hold on to it for good luck. Very lucky. You know? Yeah. But yet I have no $2 bills. I know. So it's like, I didn't hold on to it tight enough, clearly. Eventually I spent it right. or lost it. Right. <laughs> oh, and also, if you find a coin, you don't pick it up unless it's heads up. Yeah. If it's tails, you can't touch it. Yeah, can't. You're going to have bad luck. That's a good classic. I like that. Yeah. Uh, we're so Such nonsense. But whatever. It felt good to follow. Right. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Last one for you, Rachel. Uh, Tell me, do you have any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? Oh my God, like a million. Okay, (laughs) so many. (laughs) My financial fumbles, like, like, for example, I just want to go back to like my 20 year old self when I'm in Bloomingdale's with my fresh Bloomingdale's credit card, which is probably one of my first credit cards. I think it was like the second one I ever got. And just be like, don't (laughs) buy that patent leather bubble jacket don't do it. You don't need it. (laughs) You're barely going to wear it. Also, it sticks. Like it's just, it sticks. It makes sounds. You don't want it. It doesn't really fit, but you think it's cute. So you're buying it anyway, even though it doesn't fit. It's like, put it down. Okay. You're going to be paying for it and get terrible credit because of that stupid jacket. (laughs) That's what I want to say to myself. (laughs) I really feel, I really felt you talking to yourself in that. (laughs) 
I could see myself literally in Bloomingdale's on 59th and Lexington in New York City and just at that clearance rack, like it's on sale, but you still can't afford it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's on sale and yet it's still out of your price range. Oh. <laughs> adorable times Rachel adorable times yes they made us who we are so you can't be mad (laughs) well this conversation has been a goddamn delight I want to thank you again for coming on here and you also have a podcast with the wonderful Nathan Berry a billion dollar creator as well so if you want to hear more advice like this on how to think about money what to do with your money how to build a business please check out million dollar creator Where else uh, should the fine folks who are looking for more Rachel find you online? Yes. Well, I also have the Hello 7 podcast with me and my team. And find me on Instagram where I'm obnoxiously giving advice every day in video form. (laughs) And then join my newsletter. It's called the Shmoney Newsletter. And you can find that at rachelrogers.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again for listening to Weird Finance. If you like the show, please express that like by giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. 
it really does help us out a lot. And if you'd like to receive even more content from me, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Nerd Letter. Each week, I'll send you a short email of things I've read and recommend. Sign up for it at thehellyeahgroup.com. Here we are at the end of another episode of Weird Finance, an iHeartMedia production, and just would not be possible without the help of many wonderful, caring, hardworking, and talented folks like my producer, Ramsey Yunt. He produced, edited, did some sound design, and he even sang a little bit on this episode. Thank you to my friend, Andrew Parker, for lending your voice to this week's PSA. Our theme song was written and performed by me and my dear, dear friends, Jenna Parker and Andrew Parker. If you have any comments, questions about money, suggestions, or you want to be a part of the show, give us a call at 833-ASK-PACO. That's 833-275-7226. Or send us an email at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. That's it. We'll catch you here next week. In the meantime, take care. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.